Hi, you're listening to a podcast from the Galton Institute Conference from 2019, all about the ancient history of Britain, which was held at the Royal Society. In this episode, I speak to Laura Cassidy, a postdoc in Trinity College, Dublin, in the Bradley Lab studying genomics. Her main area of research is ancient Irish populations and their structures and the formation of the modern Irish genome. I think, um, yeah, potentially Ireland can be overlooked, but I think it's a very important uh, reference point uh, for British genomics, uh, just like uh, Britain is a very good reference point um, for Ireland. You can't really understand one without the other. And how, how do they feed into each other, understanding both? We know from the very start of written history there's been constant movement and contact uh, between the two islands and that extends back into prehistory as well. So a lot of, of the big cultural upheavals uh, that hit Britain uh, also hit Ireland. Uh, sometimes they manifest in the two islands in, in different ways. So. I can't remember who said this, but Ireland, sometimes you can see it very much as an island of the Atlantic. Uh, Britain, or at least the East Coast, is more of an island of the North Sea. So might, Britain might look over across the Northern European plain a bit more, while in Ireland, at different points in prehistory, uh, maritime contexts along the Atlantic are, are very important. In what way might they be important? Um, just in terms of the movement of people, how divergent ancestries arrive in the island how the island trades, I suppose. Um, when we look, I suppose the most important period would be the late Bronze Age, where we have this real like, intensity of, of contact all along um, uh, the Atlantic uh, seaboard. You find uh, objects created in Ireland popping up in, in Spain and vice versa. So understanding this sort of archaeological background and the cultural context uh, is required if we're going to understand how this has impacted the Irish uh, genetics. And when did people first colonise Ireland? Was it the same time as Britain? No, really late. So Ireland is uh, really interesting. It's, it's one of the last places on earth to become permanently inhabited by humans. Uh, so we have very scarce evidence maybe of uh, temporary Paleolithic inhabitation. Uh, but our first firm evidence comes from the Mesolithic period. And that starts in Ireland about 10,000 years ago. So these Mesolithic hunter-gatherers would have been in Britain for 2,000 years uh, before that point, And for whatever reason, they just weren't making the voyage over to Ireland. Ireland being an island might be something to do with it. Britain is very was uh, actually connected uh, by a land bridge to the continent uh, for much of its Mesolithic period. Yeah, so that's sort of, that was the first sort of permanent occupants anyway. Ireland becomes then more connected over time. How many occupations have there been then? So we infer um, that there have been three very distinct populations of Irelanders uh, living on the island uh, at different points. And these correspond roughly the first to the Mesolithic period, uh, so hunting and gathering. The second to the Neolithic period where we get the introduction of agriculture and um, our classic uh, megalithic burial structures and uh, farming practices and then our third population which is established sort of in the copper and bronze age that's the population we see most continuity with in the modern day Irish so we actually think um, and that there's been relatively strong genetic continuity in Ireland from the early bronze age onwards so that 
that stretches about 4,000 years. And that has very big implications when we start to think about language and the potential either formation or introduction of Celtic uh, or proto-Celtic uh, language, uh, not just in Ireland, but also in Britain as well. That isn't to say population continuity doesn't exclude background migration to some level. And also we need to remember that uh, we don't always need migration, large migration anyway, for a language to be introduced. Um, but the genetics are helping put together a, a bit of a stronger picture of what might have been happening. And what are the genetics saying about where those, those sort of the main group of settlers, the third ones, had come from? This is uh, similar to what we're seeing in Britain. Basically, ultimately the steppe region of Russia and to understand what's happening here you kind of need to zoom out and look at the broader European context. We see a large influx of this sort of uh, steppe type ancestry into, into uh, mostly northern Europe uh, during this period and uh, these steppe groups would have been nomadic pastoralists and a big identifier of these cultures um, and later cultures in northern Europe with steppe ancestry is these sort of single male crouched burials and these sort of spread across Europe and we see them appear up in Britain uh, with its Copper Age and that is linked to a big influx of the steppe ancestry at this time. Ireland is a bit different. We uptake the sort of classic crouched male burials a, a little bit later in time but we also see this influx of this steppe ancestry at that point in time and trying to understand how this new, very divergent ancestry consolidated with the older populations, our older Neolithic farming groups, that's going to take a lot of dense sampling to see uh, how long it took for these groups to homogenise uh, with one another. But what we do know is that massive step migration, that really set the foundations for not just modern Irish genetic variation, uh, but arguably uh, Northern European variation as a whole. What about red hair? Oh, God. <laughs> you know what? We've been searching for it. So there are uh, definite mutations that are involved in freckling and light uh, skin pigmentation and uh, red hair. Uh, but they are quite rare. We haven't found an incident uh, yet in our ancient Irish Bronze Age or Iron Age populations of red hair. Uh, but we have seen a few heterozygotes who would have been carriers. Uh, but probably wouldn't have had red hair themselves. So, but w we do know that skin pigmentation has gotten progressively lighter in Northern Europe and in Ireland through time. And uh, this is our best guess, probably um, an adaption to the very cloudy weather. So we're not getting much sun. We need to synthesize vitamin D uh, either uh, with sunlight or consume it from our diet. So if we don't have a very large amount of vitamin D in our diet, the sun and being able to get as much of it as possible is going to be more important to us. And it's interesting that because there's a few mutations involved in diet that are at their peak frequencies in Ireland today. Um, so the most famous one is lactase persistence. It's a mutation that allows us to drink milk into adulthood. It seems there was some, you know, very severe selection on this, that it was like very, very beneficial to be able to do this. And one of the theories is that if you are going through periods of famine, uh, maybe epidemics, um, that ability to drink raw milk without vomiting all up may have really been a life or death thing. And uh, similarly enough, potentially with light skin, 
pigmentation, uh, the nutritional value of being able to absorb that sunlight might have been a make or break at some points in history and prehistory. Laura Cassidy there at the Royal Society in London speaking to me at the Galton Institute Conference. You can find out more about the Institute and watch short videos from other conference speakers online at galtoninstitute.org.uk. This podcast was produced by me, Georgia Mills, for First Create the Media. And the music was Drops of H2O by Jay Lang, which was licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution License. Thanks for listening.